Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk from Clipper.com. Doug Maurice here. We're going to do a Combine preview. Nathan Baird and I start off by interviewing Max Chadwick, who's the college football analyst for PFF. We appreciate Max's insights, but PFF, if you're going to have the guy on a podcast, you got to give him a mic. So I went through, it's kind of a weird sound. I went through like 80 different spots and jacked up his sound because it kept getting soft because he's just talking into his computer. So it's not our fault. He should have had a mic. He didn't. But the stuff's good. Nathan and I, after we interviewed Max and talked about C.J. Stroud, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, all the big Ohio State guys, eight guys at the Combine this week, then Nathan and I talked more about the Combine. We're both going to be at the Combine. We have a huge crew. The Combine stuff starts Tuesday. The interviews with the players, though, don't start until Wednesday. So you're going to have stuff coming on Ohio State from us. But like the, the GMs and the coaches are talking Tuesday and Wednesday, so we'll be talking to them about, like, hey— what do you think of C.J. Stroud versus Bryce Young? Hey, what do you, you know, we'll get some stuff from, from NFL guys, but then we'll have the, the Ohio State interviews later in the week. So you want to be listening to Buckeye Talk. We'll have a lot of combine stuff. Listen to our Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Listen to our Strictly Stripes podcast. That's Browns and Bengals. A lot of PF, excuse me, a lot of combine stuff from them. Read cleveland.com slash sports constant combine coverage all week. But let's get you guys set up for this. Eight Buckeyes at the Combine. What are they doing? What matters? C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, Luke Whippler, Zach Harrison, Cam Brown, Ronnie Hickman. We're talking Ohio State and the Combine with Max Chadwick of PFF on Buckeye Talk. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Joined here on Buckeye Talk by Max Chadwick of PFF. Max, what's your official title over there, college guru? Football analyst for for PFF. Okay, 
So that means you've been analyzing college football players and we analyze college football players. And now we're getting ready for the NFL combine, which is taking place uh, this week. And Nathan and I are going to be there in Indianapolis doing all this coverage. And I, we are very intrigued. I think Max off the bat by CJ Stroud and how the NFL is going to view CJ Stroud. So let's just start there. What is your impression? We all know what CJ Stroud was at Ohio state. What's your impression of CJ Stroud as an NFL draft prospect? So first of all, it's awesome. You guys are going to the combine. I'm actually, they're sending me to the combine too. So hopefully we can meet up at some point during that week. Um, but yeah, CJ Stroud, I, I'm a big fan of CJ Stroud. And I know a lot of people are trying to, you know, start the Will Levis QB2 train or maybe even QB1 train or even Anthony Richardson or anything like that. And CJ Stroud seems to be a guy that everyone just keeps forgetting about in this draft, you know, and I think he's still the second best quarterback in this draft. And I, he's just, it's a fascinating case study, honestly, because you look at who he's thrown to over the last two years. You've got uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. You can make an argument that's five first-round wide receivers. And then, and then he's also got, you know, the best, one of the best offensive lines in the country blocking. So, you know, Bucky Brooks from NFL Network has a great analogy for quarterbacks. And it's, are you a scorer or are you a shooter? And meaning, you know, if you're a shooter, that means, hey, if everything's set up for me, I can knock down the shot. When you're a scorer, it's, I can do, you know, like a Bryce Young kind of, where it's like, I can make something happen on my own. And for C.J. Stroud, his entire career has basically been a great shooter. When everything's set up for him, he's going to make the shot every single time. However, that was a big knock on him. That Georgia game proved a lot for me. And he was under pressure a ton in that game. Um, the receivers were kind of, you know, they were getting open, but it's still like the, the defensive line, Jalen Carter, who's going to be a top pick in this draft. Uh, he was constantly under pressure. And C.J. Stroud was awesome in that game. And that game really opened my eyes a little bit and said, you know what? He's a great shooter, but he could also maybe be a great scorer too. So, I still think he's the second-best quarterback in this draft. His job in the NFL is undoubtedly going to get harder. Um, obviously, it's for every prospect that's the case. But he's got NFL-ready tools. He's probably the most accurate quarterback in this class. I would argue he actually is. Uh, his 26.7% uh, rate of perfectly placed passes is the highest among all quarterbacks in the country over the last two years. So I'm a big fan of his. Uh, again, the, the supporting cast is definitely a question mark for him. But I think he's still good enough to be potentially a franchise quarterback. Max, you know, as as we followed him over these past three years, especially the past two, you mentioned those NFL ready tools. The tool that always jumps out to us is his mind, the way that he sees the game, the way he processes it, and that obviously has great value for NFL teams. But obviously, through the draft process, a lot of those other physical tools get focused on a lot. And that's why you see maybe um, certain players start to rise up through through these these last weeks heading into the draft. So how do you, when you analyze C.J. Stroud, compare that brain versus those other tools that NFL teams value so much? And I guess what, just maybe you can go into more detail on what you see as the, the NFL-ready tools for him. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's a great point is that his mind, I mean, the accuracy, I think, is the biggest thing, but it's his mind and the timing and all that. And, you know, we can make the argument, yeah, all the receivers were great, but he's also hitting them in stride every single time, hitting them on time every single time. And that says a lot. And I think Bryce Young, Bryce Young's best tool is his mental processing. You know, obviously the height is a big question mark for him. And I think C.J. Stroud, you can make the same argument that one of his best tools besides his accuracy is his mental processing. I think his arm strength is 
good, good enough. There's no question marks there, but it's not an Anthony Richardson who's you know going to launch balls 80 yards downfield or even a Will Levis or anything like that. But I think his arm talent is still good enough. Uh, he's, I don't think he's as good on the move. I think this guy is a pure pocket passer. Um, and unlike like, like a guy like Bryce Young who can create on the move a little bit. So that's a bit of a question mark, um, especially when his performance under pressure hasn't been great besides that Georgia game. But I still see, you know, like you mentioned, his mental tools, I think, are up there with the best in the class. And I think his physical tools, especially his arm talent, is good enough to make it in the NFL. So I, I don't know if I'm going to be physically capable of having a Will Levis discussion during the process of this NFL draft season, because it's going to be all Josh Allen comparisons. And I didn't think Josh Allen was going to be any good in the NFL. Then he turned out to be Josh Allen, but he still is kind of Josh Allen-y in a weird way enough times that I'm like, okay, that hit, I don't know that it means that every like big dude who can kind of move around and you're not exactly sure about the other stuff, is going to be Josh Allen. So I don't want to have a Will Levis conversation. I'll let my brain explode in April if we get to that point. Is there possibly, Max, a Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud conversation as the best quarterback in this draft? I C.J. Stroud is, is like 6'3". It feels like people are expecting Bryce Young at the combine, and we'll find out, to measure under six feet tall. Yeah. You know, the the short quarterback thing, I think, is less of an issue than it used to be but I don't know that it's completely gone. Do you think there's any possibility that CJ Stroud is the first quarterback taken in this draft? I think there, I think there is. And I, I think there's more for me. I think Bryce Young is for me, at least clearly the number one quarterback. And I think CJ Stroud is clearly the number two quarterback. Um, but I have some friends who, who cover the NFL draft and they have CJ Stroud as QB one and they see his tools as better than Bryce Young. And, and that Georgia game for them as well proves a lot in that game. So I, I personally think Bryce Young should be the number one pick. But there is an argument. And I know there are teams that, you know, you mentioned oh, how the size is not that big of an issue anymore. There are still teams who are a little old-fashioned in that sense. And they say, hey, you're not 6'3", man. I don't know. And especially, you know, the five t- he's probably going to measure around 5'10", 5, 5'11", 5, if I had to guess, based on some pictures of him next to people who we know what their height is. But also the, the other thing that I think teams are going to question is he's probably going to be around 190, maybe even fewer pounds at the combine. Maybe he puts on some water weight to try to boost that up a little bit. But still, I mean, this is a guy who you can question. He's gotten hurt already this year, the shoulder injury. You can question his durability at the next level. I don't think it's as big of an issue because we have the same question marks about Bryce Young heading out of high school when he was a top quarterback recruit. And we're like, okay, how is he going to handle the SEC at that size? Pretty damn good. You know, he was a Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. But I still think Bryce Young should be the top quarterback prospect. But there are going to be teams that say, hey, you know what? I'd rather take the physical tools, the 6'3 pocket passer, over the guy who's probably going to be 5'10", 190. Like, there are teams that are going to be a little bit scared by that. You know, one of the things that is used in shorthand of all draft analysis, whatever the sport is, is the comparables. Is there someone when you look at CJ that you say, here's a guy in the NFL that's already kind of succeeding with that same general skill set slash build slash processing, all those things you're talking about? Yeah. So Mike Renner, who's our lead draft analyst at PFF, he put out his draft guide. He has him as Ryan Tannehill for the comp. I, I don't know if I agree with that because I think Tannehill's a little bit more mobile. I A comp that I always had before this season was Matt Ryan. Wait, I, wait, I, wait. He's he's Ryan Tannehill, but not quite Ryan Tannehill? Oh, <laughs> come on, Renner. No. I, don't, I, don't I cannot accept that. 
I, I don't agree with the Ryan Tannehill comp because I don't think he's he's as mobile as Tannehill was. But Mike does some amazing stuff. But I, I think he's more of a, like a Matt Ryan, you know, where it's like a pocket passer. Is he going to make throws on the move? Not that much. But Matt Ryan won an MVP, man. And Matt Ryan is another guy that I think, you know, in a really good supporting cast, can win you some games, can win an MVP even, led the Falcons to the Super Bowl and almost won them that Super Bowl, if not for the greatest uh, – disaster in Super Bowl history in that comeback for the Patriots. But he's a guy I think a lot like Matt Ryan, where it's going to be dependent, obviously, on the supporting cast and almost any quarterback, you say that as well. Uh, so I think a Matt Ryan comp is is what I would go with, at least for C.J. Stroud, and that he's a great pocket passer with a good enough arm. Uh, Matt Ryan, you know, the big argument for Matt Ryan has been, okay, how good is Matt Ryan versus how good was Julio Jones? That's kind of the argument for C.J. Stroud. It goes, how good is C.J. Stroud, or how good were those wide receivers that he was throwing to? So they're kind of similar in that way as well. But Matt Ryan's been a really good quarterback for a very long time. Could be a Hall of Famer. Uh, we'll see. I don't know if he will be or not. But I think C.J. Stroud is is a lot like Matt Ryan in my eyes. Last year at the Combine, Desmond Ritter said he was a combination of Deshaun Watson and Ryan Tannehill. And I was like, what? How do you even do that? It was like a minotaur. It's like we took Ryan Tannehill's. Who would think of that? I was like, that is the craziest like combo mixture of like, well, I'm a little bit Watson, I'm a little bit Tannehill. And I know Tannehill was a top 10 pick. So it's like, now you get to this point. It's like, oh, what's Ryan Tannehill? I don't know, a top 10 pick that's been a starting quarterback for a decade. And I'm acting like, who would want to be Ryan Tannehill? It's like, I don't know, that sounds pretty good. CJ Stroud wants to be Joe Burrow. I don't know. I think Joe, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, Max. I just, I think Joe's a little better athlete and moves around a little bit more. I, I think Matt Ryan is really interesting. Ryan Day has a Matt Ryan signed jersey in his office because Ryan Day was the receivers coach at Boston College when Matt Ryan was there. So I, I, this makes me wonder if Ryan Day has had Matt Ryan conversations with C.J. Stroud. So, so I, I would be very intrigued by that idea. Is there anything, when you have a quarterback prospect like this, Max, and I don't know, who, who knows? I don't know if they're going to throw, throw on air. I don't know, whatever. They all do their pro day. Do you think the measurables are like if, if CJ does any of the stuff, agility drills, 40 time, jumping stuff, is anything going to matter with him? Like, for instance, again, this whole debate about running off platform throws, that kind of thing that you're saying, hey, the Georgia game maybe showed you something. If he tests pretty athletically, would that matter, or is this really going to be a processing accuracy decision on C.J. Stroud for everybody anyway, and it, the testing won't matter either way? I think I think that's an interesting question, because I think if he goes out there and he runs a 4-5-ish, which is really fast for a quarterback, that could open up some eyes. But, I mean, I think for quarterbacks especially, the testing shouldn't sway you too much, because it's like even if that guy goes out there and runs a 4-4, he's not going to change his play style. You know, it's not like he's going to be like, oh, now all of a sudden you can be a great runner. I know Desmond Ritter ran a uh, pretty fast 40 time last year, and a lot of people are like, wow, like he could be one of the best mobile quarterbacks in the league. And he just wasn't. Like he's still like a pocket passer. Um, so it's not, I don't think T.J. Stroud is going to drastically change his play style. I think if he runs a really fast time, there are going to be some people out there who say, oh, my God, you know, and maybe boost him up to number one. I, I'm not going to be swayed too much by Even if he runs a really slow time, it's like we know who he is. You know, we know he's this pocket passer. Um, and really, the physical tools really can't shine too much besides the arm talent there. So I, don't, I think we kind of know who C.J. Stroud is. And I'm, not, I'm at least not going to let the, the combine testing sway me too much anyway. 
question you just asked is an interesting transition into Jackson because whereas CJ may not have a lot to gain from the combine or the, the pre-draft process, Jackson seems like he has everything to gain through that right now. Just as an analyst, you didn't get anything other than, you know, a few snaps that didn't mean a whole lot in terms of evaluation this past year. How important is this combine for Jackson Smith and Jigba as far as setting himself up for this draft? I think it's very important. And I think one of the biggest question marks for Jackson Smith and Jigba right now is obviously the health. You know, he missed, uh, I think he only played like 60 snaps total this year with that hamstring injury. Uh, I think the biggest thing is his health. And the other biggest question is, what's his speed like? And it, we'll see when he runs the 40. Um, so I think that's his biggest question mark is that he maybe isn't the fastest um, wide receiver out there. He's not really going to run away from any corners. He's really not going to run away from many safeties either. Um, However, I mean, we can get into it in a little bit. I think he's still the best receiver in this draft. I, I love Jackson Ooh, from a year whoa. ago, and there really wasn't a receiver this year. I know Quentin Johnson has the physical tools that people are going crazy over. Man, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was the best receiver in college football, and that was on a team with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, who were a year older. And by the way, Marvin Harrison Jr. Mecca Booker were freshmen too, so you got to put that in there. But it's a lot like, you know, I'm not comparing him to this guy who's a superstar, but if you remember that LSU team, it's like, wow, they had Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, and Justin Jefferson was clearly the number two receiver, and he was a year older than Jamar Chase. Like, it was kind of like that for me, where it was like, Jackson Smith and Jig was clearly the number one receiver on this team, and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who are both studs in the NFL already as rookies. They're a year older than him, and they're already that good. So I, I, I think it's a bad receiver class, personally. I don't know if I touched Jackson Smith and Jigba until, like, the top 20-ish, um, but I still think he is the top receiver I'd probably go with in this draft. So our colleague Stephen Means wrote a lot of stuff in the preseason before Jackson's season exploded, comparing C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba to Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup. And that ability to just kind of find a way to get open. You have a relationship with your quarterback. You're a good route runner, but also you have a sense of the field. You have the physical attributes to allow yourself to do it. You have good hands. I, I said, wow, in there because Quentin Johnston's like a prototypical number one receiver, mm. right? He's six, four. He's, he's that big, he's that big go get it kind of guy. And Jackson, if Jackson had been healthy the whole year and had a 2000 yard season, he wasn't going to grow. He is who he is. Now he's, he's still. Some draft boards will see Jackson right now as a third receiver behind Johnston, but also behind Jordan Addison. I don't – I would take Jackson ahead of Jordan Addison, nothing against Jordan Addison. I think it would be between Quentin Johnston and Jackson Smith and Jigba. But if Jackson Smith and Jigba hits in the NFL, Max, like what does it look like? Is it – okay, so it's one of those – maybe he's not the fastest. It's almost like a C.J. Stroud conversation maybe. Yeah. Maybe he's not the fastest. Maybe he's not not the biggest, but he's smart. He's a good route runner. He knows how to get open. If you throw him the ball near him, he's going to catch it. I don't I know. It's one of those things. Hey, Cooper Cup, he was good in the Super Bowl. Let's compare everybody to Cooper Cup. I know. I know. I know. I know. But what yeah. does the top side of Jackson Smith and Jigba look like? I think he could be one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. And that's you know something that – you look at it and you're like, okay, a slot receiver or whatever. No, no, no. Like slot receivers have become increasingly important every single year, both at the college and NFL level. Um, and I, our comp right now and our draft guy from Mike Renner was Julian Edelman. And Julian Edelman, it was one of the best receivers in the league, regardless of, you know, being a slot receiver. So I think Quinn Johnston has some question marks. I think Quinn Johnston physically, by far, you know, is the best receiver in this draft physically. But I think everything else, man, Jackson Smith and Jigman just does an elite level and, Obviously, the top end speed is not there. 
the the question mark over the hamstring injury is obviously up there too. But again, that sophomore tape was so freaking ridiculous, especially that Rose Bowl game. Man, I was I guess Clark Phillips third could be a second round corner in this draft, or maybe even a first round, depending on his testing. Um, so that was so impressive to me. And I, again, I I think it's close between him and Quentin Johnson. I'm not saying he's far away my wide receiver one, but that sophomore tape was by far the best tape I've ever seen. I've seen from any of these. Uh, receiver prospects in this year's draft. So I would still take him number one. And I think his ceiling could be one of the best slot receivers and then also one of the best receivers, period, in the NFL. And I think Julian Edelman's a pretty good comp for him. That slot question is interesting because, and and I was seeing this this morning, that, you know, Steve Smith, um, a guy who was a you know NFL receiver for a long time, had come out and, and did a like a little video breakdown of of Jackson and was very complimentary of him and 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 you know kind of defending some of the criticisms and Jackson retweeted it and said like oh I really appreciate that you're one of my favorite players but I'm not just a slot guy like he has to make sure that he gets that in there how important do you think it is during this process that he proves himself to be beyond a slot guy if that's even possible for him physically right now um or can do you think that if you prove yourself to be enough of a weapon in the slot that that still makes you a, a first round caliber receiver right now. I, again, I, I mentioned how the slot receivers are underrated and how they can be up there with the best receivers in the league. I still think teams look at the dominant outside receiver and they, they should be, you know, Quinn Johnston is that, but uh, you know, Jackson for the Jigba, I was excited for his junior year because he played his entire sophomore year in the slot with Wilson and Olave on the outside. And it was kind of like, okay, maybe this year he can take over on the outside a little bit. He, he has good size. You know, it's not like he's a tiny receiver. He's 6'1", 200, um, which is like the, around the average size for a wide receiver. Um, so I'm not really that worried about his size or anything like that. I just want to see him produce in, on the outside. And again, not comparing him to this guy, but Justin Jefferson only played in the slot in college too. That was his biggest question mark coming out of LSU is, can this guy play on the outside? And as we've seen, he's probably the best receiver in the NFL right now. So I think Jackson Smith the Jigbo, we haven't seen him play on the outside yet, so I'm not saying he can't do it. But right now, he right now to me, he just looks like that ultra-reliable slot receiver that is going to be a quarterback's best friend immediately when he gets into the NFL. And I think he's going to be really, really good in the NFL as you know one of the best slot receivers in the league, in my opinion. All right, let's transition to what I think is one of the most interesting battles in this draft, and it is to be the first tackle taken. And it feels like it's between Peter Skaronsky of Northwestern and Paris Johnson of Ohio mm-hmm. State. Max, what do you think the determining factor will be as teams who are picking, I don't know, somewhere between 6 and 14, maybe make a choice between those two guys? And who would you take? Oh, that's tough. I would, I would lean Skaronsky right now. But... This upcoming combine week is going to be huge for both of them. And the testing, sure, is going to be big. The big thing you got to watch out for, though, is the measurements. And I think the arm length measurement is going to be a big swing factor for Peter Skaronsky because he is not a very big tackle. He's six foot four, doesn't really have that long of an arms. Um, and there's kind of a threshold that teams have as to whether or not he can make it as a tackle in the NFL. And if he doesn't hit that threshold, he might be lower. Paris Johnson Jr. does not have any of those issues. Paris Johnson Jr. looks like you're created in a lab offensive tackle. Six foot six, 310 pounds, very fluid mover as well. I think that all the physical tools, physically, he's the best. He's like, kind of like the Quentin Johnston 
uh, of this class where physically that's what you want in a tackle. And, you know, he kicked out the tackle this year after playing guard uh, last year. Um, he's a, He had a, actually a really good year as well. So I think right now I would lean Peter Skaronsky only because we've seen three years of elite play from him in the Big Ten as a left tackle. And we've only seen only one, like, really good year from, from Paris Johnson at left tackle. Um, but I still think, you know, phys- if you're going for physical tools, there isn't a better toolsy tackle in this draft, I think, than Paris Johnson Jr. You know, the other Ohio State offensive lineman that, that's created some buzz, and he's, he's coming out early, is Luke Whipler. And it was a little bit of a surprise to Ohio State that he would make the jump when he did. What sort of valuation have you been able to get on him and that, that would lead you to believe whether that was the right decision for him to come out early um, and, and be drafted at the right place to make that pay off, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's one of the best centers in this draft, honestly. And he was one of the best centers in college football uh, over the past you know couple seasons. And I think he's a terrific center. I thought he was, um, you know, he's a guy that, again, he's, he's a good size, 6'3", 300 pounds. Um, I, his comp in our draft guy from Mike Renner is David Andrews, who's been one of the best underrated centers in the league, honestly. So I think he's a guy who wins with leverage really, really well. He's got to work on his anchor a little bit, work on his power a little bit, but he's a guy that's really good both as a run blocker and really good both as a, as a pass blocker as well. So I, I love Luke Whippler. Uh, I thought there was a chance he might've come back with all the other Ohio state guys returning, but um, he's still in the draft now. And I still think he's going to be a guy that's, you know, one of the top interior offensive linemen in this class and probably a day two pick when it's all said and done. That'd be pretty good. Day two, like second or third round pick for a center. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would ask about the other offensive lineman here for Ohio State, and I'm going to try to set odds on this. I'm going to say three to one plus, I'll make it plus 280. Dewan Jones goes in the first round. And here's my comp, Max. And, and I remember it happening at the time. I guess it was the 20... 20- 20 NFL draft, Andrew Thomas is the best tackle at Georgia. He's a top five pick. And then there's his other tackle at Georgia, and he's big, and he's interesting, and he goes late in the first round. He goes 29 to the Titans, Isaiah Wilson. He's now a rapper. And I will read from Isaiah Wilson's Wikipedia page. Under the stage name G.G. Bowser, Wilson released a hip-hop EP titled Layup Lines. He washed out. He had a DUI. He washed out in the NFL very quickly. It was kind of a reach, I think, at the time, but Mm. you're going on size and athleticism and a big old tackle makes people go do crazy things sometimes. I don't think, I don't know if Dewan Jones can rap, but this guy I think is is a grinder. He's made himself a great player at Ohio State. Off-field stuff, no issues at all. He's big. He's talented. He's physical. Plus 280, would you drop, say, three bucks on Dewan Jones going in the first round at, at that mark? I, I might. I might. And this is, another, this is another combine guy that I can't wait to see because, like you said, he's kind of a freak. You know, he's, I mentioned physical tools. Paris Johnson Jr. is probably the best only because of, like, the athleticism. But Dewan Jones, man, you want the first guy off the bus, you go over Dewan Jones because he's six foot eight, 360 pounds. He's reportedly got a seven foot six wingspan. That is ridiculous. You know, that's going to – it already, you know, shocked a lot of people at the Senior Bowl. It broke the Senior Bowl record, actually, for a wingspan. It's going to shock him more people, I think, in the combine. Like, holy crap, this guy could tie his shoes without even bending over, honestly. Um, so I was so impressed with DeWan Jones this year. He didn't allow a single sack or a hit this year. Um, his 1.3% pressure rate allowed was the best among all tackles 
in the country. The big question is, he's six foot eight, 360 pounds. How is he going to deal with speed rushers? And we saw, you know, he had some issues in the Big Ten this year with some speed rushers, but still, his tape, not only is he a physical uh, monster, he also was really good. You know, it's not like this guy who's just too big. Like, like I said, his pressure rate was the lowest in the country. Um, I, I think he is a guy that dominated the Senior Bowl. I was amazed with his Senior Bowl reps. Um, I thought he was one of the biggest winners of the Senior Bowl. So, yeah, I think he's going to be a top 50 pick. And honestly, he could be could sneak into that first round range if a team really falls in love with those physical tools that he has. So we've only talked offensive players so far. The guy that I'm in some ways the most intrigued by from Ohio State, at least going into the combine, is Zach Harrison. Because I don't know that we have a great grasp, after four years of watching him play a lot, of exactly what kind of NFL prospect he is, at least in terms of like how high he would be evaluated. And PFF loves Zach Harrison. Like they've loved Zach Harrison, you guys, since like the day he stepped on the field. He's always gotten really strong season-long marks from PFF. That hasn't necessarily resulted in a lot of like edge rusher production. Sacks. He doesn't, doesn't didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of sacks at Ohio State. So do you see him as somebody who can go to the NFL and make an edge rusher impact? Um, or are there other ways that he's so good that that's why he's gotten those sorts of high evaluations from PFF. Yeah. So he's a guy that I know we love, but I know a lot of Ohio state fans that have kind of been disappointed by, you know, who's been a five-star recruit and he's always graded really highly for us, but he just really hasn't made the, the splash plays. But I think he's been a really consistent edge defender for Ohio state over the last three years. And I, he's a really athletic player. Like I said, he's huge again, like Dewan Jones, like, like uh, Paris Johnson jr. He's Super long. He's six foot six, two hundred seventy two pounds. Like he's a massive guy, but also he's a freak. Like he ran a ten point eight second hundred meter yard dash, hundred meter dash in in high school, which is an insane time for anyone, let alone a two hundred sixty plus pound edge defender. So um, he's a guy that I don't think corners really well. I don't think he plays at an angle really. I don't think his bend is all that great. But he's a linear guy who's just going to try to go through you. Um, so. I like him. I think he's a day two guy as well. Uh, I think he's a guy that can, you know, potentially be a really good run defender in the NFL. We'll see how he is as a pass rusher. Um, so again, I would take him probably late second round, somewhere in that range, maybe early third round. But uh, I like him a lot, and I've I've always been kind of a Zach Harrison defender over the last three years because I know he's been kind of hated on a lot. But I think he's been a really good player for the last three years. The, the comp for me as a guy who was a very good player who it seemed like at least I and I think a lot of people had trouble getting a handle on at Ohio State is Pete Warner, mm-hmm. who was good, right? But I was always like, is how good? What? And then he, Pete Warner was the number 60 overall pick in the second round and then got to the NFL as a good player right away. And it's like, yep. oh, no, okay. He was good the whole time. Sorry. And like, if you tell me that Zach Harrison's going to go at pick 60 and get to the NFL and be good right away, Nathan, and I, I'm like, like, oh, no, okay. He was yeah. good the whole time. That's what, Nathan, that could happen, right? Well, yeah, and here's another thing, since we're talking to someone from PFF, like, Pete Werner didn't have great PFF ratings. And for Zach Harrison, it's been consistent. Like, it go back to his, like, I think in the last couple of years, he's been in the 80s for the year or close to it, and that that's really strong. And and I remember that that last year where the, the, the conversation was out there, like, is Pete Werner, like, the best defensive player on this Ohio State team? Is Pete Werner, like, secretly, like, the best defensive player in the Big Ten or almost? And PFF's numbers weren't quite there. And some of that might have been what Ohio State was asking him to do relative to what he should be doing in the NFL and is doing now in the NFL. 
But no, I, that's why I think Zach Harrison is such an intriguing player because we've always said that, uh, um, no offense to this, but like one game with a PFF rating, you don't want to make too much out of. But when it's yeah. over a long period of time, you can really start to make some interesting comparisons between guys. And for Zach Harrison, it's just been very consistent, like it, it, that, that he's been rated really strongly by a, a respected organization that goes through and grades like every snap that these guys do. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, he's a guy that, again, like you mentioned, like the one game sample size is always something we, we always caution against whenever you're uh, going like that. But like he's been above 80 every single year. He's 86 this year, 82 last year, 88.8 the year before that in 2020. So I've I've loved what I've seen from Zach Harrison. Uh, I think, you know, obviously PFF grades, I would even say his PFF grades are not the end-all be-all. And this guy who works at PFF, uh, but his stats have always been there as well. And I know the sack numbers are the things that Ohio State fans look at and say, oh, he's never been the best in, in, you know, in, the, in that department. He's got 12 sacks over the last three years. That's not that impressive, but it's more than just sacks. And I think sacks are maybe one of the most overrated stats when you're evaluating pass rushing. He's a guy that consistently pressures the quarterback. And I think he's a guy that I think will be – a pretty good edge defender in the NFL and a guy that, you know, like a Pete Warner, like you guys said, could surprise some Ohio State fans and go, wow, like I didn't I didn't think he had that in him, honestly. All right, so there's two more Ohio State guys at the Combine, Ronnie Hickman and Cam Brown. No offense to them. We'll see what happens next week, but that's not that an exciting conversation. But Max, before we let you go, I do have a special guest who like would ask, like to ask you one more question before you leave. Hold on one second. Let me bring him in. Max, this is two-time national champion Stetson Bennett the fourth. I cannot believe that you had a conversation about C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young that did not include a two-time national champion. Where do you believe I will be drafted early in the first round or late in the first round, Maxwell? <laughs> uh, Stetson, I would, I would probably say to you, you're probably going to be a day three pick right now. And uh, How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> not doing yourself too many favors with what you're doing off the field right now. I would say that either. But um, I think you'll be a, a good backup quarterback in the NFL. I think you're obviously a winner, um, which a lot of teams are going to care about. And he's an underrated guy. I think he's a guy that you know has a better arm than people – People give him credit for. I don't think he's older. Obviously, I think that's well documented. Um, but I think he's a guy that is going to be make a long career in the NFL as a backup quarterback as long as he can stay out of trouble. So I don't know if you could hear it, Max, when Stetson left. When you said backup quarterback, he punched the wall. So <laughs> he's going to be probably looking for you at the combine. So watch your back, man. <laughs> uh, Max, where uh, people want to follow your work, where can they find you? How can they read you? How can they follow you? Yeah, so you can follow me at ChatterscoreMaxwick on Twitter and on uh, on I put some TikToks out sometimes too, and then obviously at PFF.com. TikToks? I, I, are you doing a dance? What do you do on TikTok I for football? Do dances, unfortunately, no. But it's man, it's that app that is exploding right now, and I felt like man, I should probably get on that if I want to promote. You know, the Chi- there's Chinese guys like reading your brainwaves when you're on TikTok. Yeah, you know that, right? yeah we'll see what happens, but. Uh, yeah, that, and then I'm putting out like three to four articles a week at PFF.com. So that's been exciting. I put out one today where it's predicting the next quarterback for every top 25 team. And uh, I think Kyle McCord is going to win that job for you guys next year. I'm excited to see what he does. So, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff coming this offseason. So I'm very excited about it. And really appreciate you guys for having me on. Can I ask real quick, just yeah. quick impression, Marvin Harrison Jr.? Dude, unbelievable. <laughs> he is uh, – I put out a mock draft – um, if every college football player was eligible and I had him in the top 10 as the number one receiver, like I think that guy is going to be like a Jamar Chase level prospect where like that's the guy, you know, that's the number one guy right there. And 
I, I always thought when he was coming out of high school, like, oh, he's Marvin Harrison's son. Maybe that's why he's a high four-star recruit. And then I saw he was on the freaks list, and I was like, okay, maybe he's a freak athlete. And then he became the best receiver in college. He got robbed of the Blitnikoff this year. I really thought he was the best receiver. Um, and I think he's clearly the best receiver next year. I think Emeka Ibuka is the number two receiver in the country next year and in that draft. Um, so, yeah, Ohio State wide receiver U is uh, pretty alive and well right now. And it starts with Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously. All right, Max Chadwick, great stuff. Thanks so much for your time and for joining us here on Buckeye Talk, and we'll see you at the Combine. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, Nathan. So again, not to confuse people, we're recording this before we are at the Combine, but we are dropping it here in Combine Week, and the NFL GMs and coaches are going to talk on Tuesday and Wednesday. The players are going to start talking on Wednesday. Zach Harrison, his group is up first on Wednesday. We will not talk to CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba until Friday. And then the offensive linemen will talk to on Saturday, Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, and Luke Whipler. They'll be working out in between on the NFL Network, the bench press, the 40, all that stuff. You guys go to the, I mean, you know, the NFL Network's not paying us for this. You guys can go figure out. It's there. It's just on 24 hours a day once the combine starts. But I am curious, Nathan, just if any impression of CJ changes. And I made a big deal about it and wrote a big deal about it when Dwayne Haskins was there. And I thought like, Dwayne, you can, I probably overdo the podium stuff when you give interviews because that's all we kind of get. You know, we're not in interviews, but I thought Dwayne presented himself well at the NFL Combine, and then Daniel Jones went ahead of him, right, in kind of a weird quarterback draft class. I don't know that I expect C.J. Stroud to get past Bryce Young on this list, Nathan. I And I'm a big, I think Bryce Young is a great player. But I'm curious what the discussion might be like, and I don't think it's impossible. And I'm just curious if this week, somehow shifts, not changes, because CJ has a lot of tape out there, but shifts or sways or adjusts at all the conversation around CJ Stroud. And I think it could only get more positive. I don't think CJ can go there and do anything because I don't think he's viewed, his athleticism is not his first thing you think about. But if he is, if he tests athletically, then what, Nathan? Well, I think the change, the shift has already happened. I think it was one of the first things that Max said. And because if he goes to the combine and goes through all of those, even if he does the measurables, even if he runs, and I do not expect him to run a four five, by the way, uh, as he threw out as a possible number, I'll be, I'd be surprised. Um, not, I'm not saying he's slow. I'm just saying that would be he'd be really burning at that point. Um, but if you go out and you go through the the passing things and you're like dropping passes into buckets against air, people are going to be like, well, isn't that kind of what you've been doing? most of the time in games for the past couple of years, like that's, that was never really the knock against him. I think the shift already happened based on what Max said, but based upon just the narrative that's out there by what he did in the Georgia game. I think that really opened some eyes that when you had to go in and be a playmaker at that level against a defense that accomplished, that showed people something new. The, the play that we keep talking about where it starts to kind of fall apart and he escapes the pocket and runs out to his right and makes a throw on the run for a touchdown, like those sorts of things matter, I think, a lot more than doing things against air at the combine and even even the measurables. If you were to run something like a four or five, I'm sure that would. There are some teams out there that that maybe are very strong strict in their parameters of how they evaluate things physically because every team looks at it differently then maybe that would make a bigger impact but i think max makes a good point that it doesn't necessarily change the way guys play i think the way a guy plays 
and the way you've seen him make decisions, process things, execute things matters a whole lot more than, especially after he's had this many reps and you have this much film to watch and this many games to watch matters a whole lot more. I think Dewan Jones might be a combine darling. And I don't know if he's going to be limited at all after his senior bowl ended early. I think I would predict right now that he slides into the back of the first round because it just takes one tackle needy team to fall in love with you and fall in love with the upside. And I think we've seen enough big physical tackles who intrigue people or maybe they're not a hundred percent finished product, but DeWand is pretty finished. This guy's a two year starter at a high level place who played very well. This is not a project, right? This is an established starting tackle with extreme physical attributes and size. I just looked like a Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL network, who I think is a good draft guy. doesn't have him in his top 50 right now. I, I don't know, man. I think I just can totally see it. And I think it might start. It, it was started at the senior bowl. And then they only could go for one day of practice senior bowl. Cause something happened, some kind of injury or whatever. I don't know. I think it might be Dewan Jones week, Nathan. No, he, he will absolutely be a combine darling, assuming, as you say, that he can actually go through and, and, and practice. And it sounded like I have not talked to someone from Dewan's camp. The word that we were getting that week was it might have been concussion related concussion symptoms, something like that. I don't think he had a soft tissue injury or anything like that. So that would seem to be the kind of thing that you could come back from in a few weeks and, and play, hopefully, uh, and, and work out. So, yeah, I, I think – and but again – Uh, Max made a good point and it was already being made by other people who were there at the senior bowl and were making evaluations that it wasn't like he showed up hurt or got hurt. I mean, he had a great start to the senior bowl practice. Like he had done the measurables that were like off the charts measurables and uh, was doing really good things in the one workout that he was able to do was like really walling off edge rushers and was, you know, the things that we saw him do for Ohio state just in a more compact and um, like hyper uh, scenario. So I think he, it wasn't just that he's a big dude. He went there and, and showed that it was kind of off the charts big and then was, but was also doing things in the workouts that I think turned the right heads. But as far as like really pushing himself up into that first round conversation, I think he can only help himself at the combine. If, I mean, you know what I mean? Like I think he's also in a situation where it seems really like day two is the floor and but if you go to the combine and you can move even better than people are expecting in some of those measurables, the drills that you do. Uh, now, everybody doesn't do every drill. Sometimes guys sit out drills when they know they're not going to be beneficial to them. But if he can go there and do a lot of those things and and combine combine those 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 movement things with the like eye test size things, then I think he's. I, I agree. I think he's in the mix because it, you're right. It only takes that one team. And what's really intriguing about guys who can get taken at the end of the first round is you're getting drafted by a really good team usually, or maybe there's a team that had some draft capital that it could use to move up back into the end of the first round. But that's also a team that's going to be valuing you highly and thinking that you can make an impact early on. So the combine is still in Indy. There had been discussion. Is it going to move from Indy? Are they going to put it somewhere cooler? Vegas, LA, I don't know. It's still an indie, which means like there's a million Ohio State people go. It's kind of like a little mini Ohio State thing. So it's just remarkable. Sometimes you go to the combine, it's like, hey, there's like a really good player who's going to be the 
53rd guy taken and nobody is talking to him because it's just someone more famous is talking right now and none of his college beat writers are there and whatever. The Ohio State guys always get spoken to. I'm very curious to see like how the Jackson Smith and Jigba interview goes, Nathan, because there's going to be a lot of people covering it from an NFL perspective, and it is the NFL Draft Combine, who are going to t- want to talk about your draft prospect. How you, and then there's going to be Ohio State writers who are going to be there wanting to talk about Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, just about what happened this year, because he has not had that interview session. And so how curious are you what do you want to ask? What do you think this Jackson Smith and Jigba interview will be like when we get him at a podium? Well, I think the first thing that he has to show is just how healthy he is right now because we're coming up on it. Like it's the combine is only, you know, what, six weeks before the draft, something like that. Like it's it's a short amount of time. And the turnaround then to like rookie minicamp and stuff is not that far behind that. So like how healthy is he right now? Because that was obviously the thing. I'm not telling anybody who's listening to this something they don't know. Like it dragged all year to like, well, how close is he to coming back? Can he play? And he would try to come back and play. But when he tried to come back and play, always looked like he wasn't really back yet. And then that inevitably led to another delay and sitting out. And so that obviously was the precursor to just shutting everything down and getting ready for this moment. So just what can he physically do at this point? It was someone I talked to last week. They've been keeping things pretty low profile from a media standpoint, him and everyone around him, because the focus has just been, and they feel some urgency to like, he's got to he's got to get healthy. He's got to show up and he's got to perform. And he's got to get on an NFL roster like that. Those are the things that they're really focused on right now for obvious reasons so that's my first question to him is how much you know, we'll see how much he's actually participating and if he's not participating very much then i think there are follow-up questions as to just where he is physically and how much longer that's going to drag but what do you still have questions about the ohio state season because i want to ask what could have been done differently to have allowed you sure. to play more last year don't we still have to ask that stuff yeah like, I that's think- what we care about we, I think we're Ohio State writers. We're not NFL writers. Sure. Well, I think that's a, no. I think that's totally a fair question because why was it such a stop and start thing? If 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 there was a point where you were going to shut things down just to get ready for the draft, why couldn't you have? You know, what what was the decision making process just in that that third week where you're deciding whether to come back and play in a, a non conference game that didn't impact the season? Um, if you it, it, again, when he came back, it always clearly looked like he wasn't ready yet. Or could or was obviously so close to the edge. I know that's a it's a complicated thing. I know I, I believe that the medical professionals were trying to do the best thing, but you know, would it have, you know, in retrospect, does he wish he had shut it down then and been able to come back a month later without having played, without having pushed it, would he have had a chance to come back? Or was it only by going through that process that they found out exactly how bad it was and had to shut it down? I think there are questions still lingering about that. Because it I mean, listen to the way that Max talks about it, like how much it changes the most important games of Ohio State season if Jackson Smith and Jigba is on the field. Because was it not that his last play as an Ohio State Buckeye was the thing on the sideline where it looked like he got hurt again and Ryan Day was like, ah, we're taking him out anyway. Right? Wasn't that the last thing? Uh, that was in the game he tried to come back? Yeah. And they acted like, oh, no, it was normal. We had a plan for him. And it was like, I think he was limping after that. And then he never played again. It was like, oh, was the plan? So, I mean, this is, they're like Ohio, I'm not, I'm not trying to blame anybody, but clearly it got sideways because nobody thought when he got hurt against Notre Dame that it was going to ruin his entire season. And it did. 
So what can be learned from that? What could have been done differently? Not for blame, but for accountability, for lessons, for history, right? We got to document this. Like what happened? This is going to be, because once it gets to the NFL, it's like, this might be our last best chance to document what exactly happened with the best receiver in the country that his entire final season at Ohio State blew up. Well, this this is how science works, right? I mean, the way that they treated Jackson Smith and Jigba is based on past precedent of how they've treated injuries like that, or other people have treated other injuries like that to try to get high high level athletes back on the field and able to compete. So, what did they learn through this process? And there's only so much that Ohio State will talk about those things. I know you asked Ryan Day a little bit about that at the last time we had um, him for a, a media session, but I I think there are more questions to be asked because it just that it didn't add up and we obviously talked about it in in the in the it, at, as it was happening um but i yeah I, I think that question does still linger that if you if you make a stronger decision to shut things down earlier on give him more time off is he able to come back or did they find out through this process that this kind of injury is is really that unpredictable and not until you get out and try to play at full speed do you find out that it's it's that significant I'll also bet that Paris does go ahead of Peter Skaronsky. I think the arm measurement thing for Skaronsky that Max mentioned is interesting. And the idea of like, oh, I only played, it's like, it's not his fault. He only played one year of tackle. And if he came back, if he stayed at Ohio State, whether they played him at tackle as a sophomore, whether he stayed at Ohio State for his senior year and played a second year tackle, I think he might be a top five pick. So I think somebody, even you saw last year, the Derek Stingley Sauce Gardner conversation. I'm not saying this went the right way because Sauce was a defensive rookie of the year in the NFL, but Derek Stingley was the first corner off the board. And it wasn't like production, it was upside because Stingley hadn't played, right? But it's like you still look at the overall body of work. And so, production, this is nothing to take away from Peter Skaronsky, but Paris is prototypical. And the only, not even knock, it's like, oh, not, how can you even knock on a guy who's going to go like 14th at the latest? But it's he only played one year at a spot. Well, it's not his fault he played only one year at a spot. He didn't do anything wrong for that to happen. It just happened. So I, my guess will be that Paris might so, show some things this week. We'll have plenty of time to talk about those guys. Is there anybody else, Nathan, that you're really curious about? I was looking at some of the other Big Ten guys. Joey Porter Jr., who's a Penn State corner that we talked about a lot before that Ohio State-Penn State game. And then Marvin Harrison Jr. had a great game. He's projected as a first-round guy. Ohio State didn't play Illinois. There's an Illinois guy, Devin Weatherspoon, who's projected as a top 10 guy, potentially. A couple Iowa defenders are interesting. And then the mix, we talked about Peter Skaronsky. Is there anybody else, whether uh, it's an Ohio State opponent? Michael Mayer, we made a, a meal out of Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end, before that Ohio State matchup in the first game of the season. He's, I think, a surefire first-round pick. Anybody else you're really curious about at the Combine? So this isn't a player but it is a situation that a lot of people are monitoring, and that's what are the Chicago Bears going to do? And they obviously have the number one overall pick. They don't need a quarterback because they have said that they're committed to Justin Fields, and we've talked a little bit already about that dance that you sort of have to play there. They're going to have to bring in the quarterbacks and, and the top quarterbacks and, and do interviews and stuff with them to make that number one pick more valuable. But what do they eventually then do with that pick. I mean, once they trade it, how far down do they trade? And then what decision are they making? Because they need playmakers, they need playmakers to go along with fields. But as Max was saying, and I agree with him, I don't think this is a strong receiver draft, especially compared to last year. I don't think you're necessarily, you know, last year there were, you know, 10, 11, 12 was where Wilson Olave and Jamison Williams went. You're not going to see that in this draft. So 
are you trading back and then are you content, I guess is the right word, to take someone like Paris Johnson Jr., who isn't a playmaker, but they need offensive line help too. That whole offense needs help. And if, if you're right and, and you look at him as someone who projected out and say, well, a year from now, with the growth that he's making in his game, he would be a top five, top eight, whatever kind of, and he's already in the top eight conversation now. Does it make sense to pull the trigger on him if you're drafting in that? But but there's also people who think that they are really in love with someone like Jalen Carter. And if you trade back from one to four, you can still get a really, really, really high impact guy who you think would maybe even be worthy of number one, um, but also picking up other draft capital while you do that and maybe making more um, value, strong value picks with your later picks after that. So uh, they've got some tough decisions to make, but if they're Ohio state guys who are going to then be in the mix in that decision-making process for them, depending on who they trade with, because Paris Johnson Jr. Would be there. Jackson Smith and Jigba again as a late first round pick, depending on who they trade with and what picks they pick up. Maybe that's a guy who's in the mix. I think that's a, a, a team to keep an eye on for what it could mean for Ohio state players. And then again, all these dominoes affect C.J. Stroud, affect where C.J. Stroud is going to wind up in the NFL. So we'll certainly monitor that, the quarterback shenanigans as teams maneuver at the top of the draft. We know the Houston Texans, who are the number two pick, are going to take a quarterback. We don't know what's going to happen at number one, and we you don't know 100% for sure. A lot of people seem to think the Colts at number four will take a quarterback, but that's a C.J. Stroud popular landing spot right now. Defensive guy one. Bryce Young, two to the Texans, C.J. Stroud, four to the Colts. But I, I bet it doesn't play out that way. Something Stuff's going to move. So we'll get some vibe on that. I believe, and I don't know, we can double check, of any non-national organization, Nathan, I believe Cleveland.com will have more people at the Combine than anybody else. We have 11 credentials for the NFL Combine. You and I will be there. Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock from our Browns crew will be there. Um, three guys from our Bengals crew are going to be there. And I don't even know who else is there. There's just like random people like float. We just have so many people you can't yep. we're everywhere. So Cleveland.com, if you care about the combine, and I think we're going to be writing stuff, not just about Ohio state and the Browns and the Bengals. We're going to talk about the writing and, and discussing the most interesting things happen happening at the NFL combine. So if you care about those other teams at all, uh, you can listen to the orange and Brown talk podcast wherever you listen to Buckeye talk you can find orange and brown talk that is our browns podcast and that will be combine heavy next week and then you can listen to strictly stripes that is our bengals podcast and that will also be and it's this week now i said next week it's this week we're dropping this on monday combines this week so we'll have the coverage stuff really starts tuesday so read cleveland.com bunch of places listen to buckeye talk We'll be doing pod pods from the combine later in the week. Listen to Orange and Brown Talk. Listen to Strictly Stripes, three different podcasts covering the NFL combine. Again, just make sure, just drop by cleveland.com multiple times a day this week, and you'll get, you'll get all the combine coverage that you could possibly want. Okay, that will wrap it up. Nathan and I will be bringing you coverage. We're so glad that you guys make Buckeye Talk part of your week for now. Thanks to Max Chadwick. From PFF, for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug LaMaurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.